This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of uh, talking with uh, Professor Mario Preti, who is in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Torino in Torino, Italy. He's also the immediate past president of the International Society for the Study of Vulvovaginal Disease. Um, the reason for the podcast is the uh, publication of the ESGO ISSVD, ECSVD, and EFC consensus statement on pre-invasive vulvar lesions. So, uh, Mario, it's a great pleasure of having you in the podcast. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you for your time. And, and once again, again, congratulations on putting together this really massive work. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you to you, Professor Ramirez, for the invitation. It's a great pleasure and honor for me uh, to record this podcast. Great. Wow. So, thank you, Mario. And I, and I, I took the liberty of uh, calling you Mario, so please call me Pedro as well during, during oh, this podcast. Uh, thank you, Pedro. I, I appreciate it. So we obviously are very excited to talk to you about this. I'm sure you are, you, you are very proud of all of the work uh, that you put in with uh, the rest of the team. So I wanted to first ask you, um, why four societies together? for the consensus paper and, and also why consensus paper now on pre-invasive vulvar cancer or diseases? Yeah, yes. First of all, I would like to thank Professor Denis Carlou, ESGO past president that accepted the, the proposal, Murat Gulkain, chair of the ESGO prevention committee, Jacob Borsten and Colin Stockdale for their support from the ISSVD side during my presidency and all the other of this amazing group. Not so easy work for society, European Society Gynecological Oncology, International Society for the Study of Vaginal Disease, European College for the study of vulvar disease and the European Federation of Colposcopy are leading international society among gynecologists, pathologists, dermatologists, and related disciplines. One of their aims is to promote the highest quality of care for women with pre-invasive and invasive gynecological neoplasia through prevention, advancing treatment, excellence in care, and high-quality research and education. And uh, the reason of this consensus statement is that epidemiological data are showing us that there is an alarming stagnation in vulvar invasive cancer incidence, no reduction. And this means that accurate diagnosis and treatment of pre-invasive disease must be improved. And moreover, the trend toward management that preserves vulvar anatomy and function should take into account the risk of invasive disease and representative biopsies needed to, uh, to provide differential diagnosis and to exclude uh, invasive malignancy. And so a systematic uh, literature review was performed and we consider vulvar squamous intrapitellar neoplasia, vulvar page disease and vulvar melanoma in situ, and about 200 of articles dealing with treatment were, were retrieved, and most of them about vulvar squamous intrapitellar neoplasia, and after data extraction by two independent teams, evidence-based consensus statements were developed and two rounds of binary voting, agree or disagree, were, were carried out for each potential statement. And so the group achieved uh, 
consensus, final consensus statements. Fantastic. So thank you so much for um, obviously giving us the whole frame of the work that, that you did. Um, wondering if you could just give us a little bit more about the epidemiology of pre-invasive vulvar disease uh, and explain uh, where we are with that to our audience. Of course, uh, we have squamous intrapitellial uh, neoplasia that has two different pathologies, HPV-related, named vulvar high-grade squamous intrapitellial lesion, and non-HPV-related, the differentiated DIN. We have vulvar page disease and adenocarcinoma in situ, and vulvar melanoma in situ, a melanocytic lesion. And they are three different entities with different epidemiology. VIN is seen uh, with an incidence from two to nine per 100,000 women a year. It may have a risk of developing invasive carcinoma. And in a recent uh, Dutch study, it demonstrated that uh, the incidence of uh, VIN uh, is increased from two in uh, two per uh, 100 thousand person here in 1991 to uh, 3.2 in 2011. And uh, in particular, differentiated VIN represent less than 10% of all squamous intrapitellial lesion, but they have a greater potential to transformation. And so it's very important to uh, identify this lesion before malignant progression. Quite different is extramammary page disease that has an incidence estimated of about 0.6 per 100,000 people per year in Europe. And among female patients, more than 80% of extramammary page disease are located on the vulva. Vulvar page disease with invasive adenocarcinoma is reported in about 15% of cases. And finally, we have vulvar melanoma that account for 7% of vulvar malignancy and only about 3% of all melanomas. And melanoma in situ, is, as an analysis of the National Cancer Database showed, is less frequently, frequent than the invasive melanoma. So we need more attention even to pigmented lesion on the uh, vulvar skin and vulvar mucosa. Great. So th this is a great opportunity for those who read this consensus statement to get uh, a, a very rich um, uh, flavor of the information that we have as it pertains to uh, these, these uh, terms and, and these subclassifications. And, and I wanted to ask you, you know, in terms of the terminology of VIN, uh, for somebody who's not in your field of expertise, it sometimes can be somewhat confusing. And, and I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. That's true. Of course, squamous intrapitellial lesion, you hit the mark. Probably not confused, but difficult to follow. And uh, there are two carcinogenic pathway on you know, the vulvar squamous neoplasia. And they are reflected in 1987 and again in 2004 ISSVD classification. The HPV related and the HPV unrelated. They had different names the usual type and the differentiated type. And uh, in 2013, the last terminology, the lower anogenital squamous terminology, unify the nomenclature of HPV-associated squamous lesion of the entire 
lower genital, anogenital tract. And it uses only two tire terminology, low grade and high grade. But the absence of the reference to differentiated BIN was amended in 2015 by the SSVD terminology that underlined that low grade seal is a manifestation of productive HPV infection, a flat condyloma or HPV effect without any oncological potential. And finally, in 2020, the WHO classification divides the tumor valvular uh, precursor lesion into HPV squamous in tripitalia lesion and HPV independent. And the, probably it's much more easier uh, the vulvar page disease classified in 1987 by the SSVD as an in-situ carcino adenocarcinoma of the vulvar skin. But uh, our past president in 2001, Ed Wilkinson, that recently unfortunately passed away, proposed an histopathological classification of vulvar page disease that distinguish primary of cutaneous origin arising within the vulvar epithelium from secondary non-cutaneous vulvar paging disease that origin from the spread of internal malignancy, anorectal adenocarcinoma or urethral carcinoma of the bladder or the urethra to the vulvar epithelium. And again, the, and finally, the melanoma in situ is staged using the American Joint Committee on Cancer Melanoma Staging System for the melanoma and the skin. And the staging system, quite difficult on the vulvar skin and mucosa, was now represented the stage 1A, the melanoma in situ, approved by the American Joint Committee. Fantastic. Um... Mario, one of the uh, one of the advantages of having you is that some of our fellows in the International Journal get to ask an expert like you some questions. So this first question comes from Natalie Medley. She's one of our fellows uh, from Jamaica, and um, she wanted to ask you, are there any tips that you can give us for conducting volvoscopy um, that may help reduce the false positive rates? Well, that's true. There is no single pathognomonic clinical feature of vulvar squamous and tripitalial uh, lesion. It, it, it is difficult to distinguish among various types of vulvar lesion based only on microscopic, macroscopical aspect and the distribution of vulvar changes. Approximately 60% of the patient report itching or irritation pain or bleeding along with visible vulvar lesion. And clinical aspects of uh, squamous intrapetelial lesion are variable uh, with significant differences in number, size, shape, color, surface, thickness, and topography, quite different from the cervix. And lesion can be solitary or multiple, and their color may range from red to white, gray, brown, and we can try magnification of the vulvar skin with lens or with the colposcope after through naked eye examination. And so uh, the magnification may allow to better define the extension of the lesion to direct biopsy to the areas of most clinical severe abnormality and to direct by visualizing anatomical uh, landmarks the treatment. But we have to keep in mind that uh, three or five percent acetic acid can be applied on the vulvar and the mucosa uh, 
only by expert hands because uh, it's not like uh, there is no transformation zone. So we cannot find those atypical vessel that we find on the cervix and the vaginal wall. And yeah. we, we, can, we can say that high-grade squamous intrapitellial lesion tend to occur more in younger women and differentiated DIN in older women, uh, median age of six, 67 versus 47 years, but uh, differentiated VIN is sometimes difficult to distinguish from the associated dermatosis, in particular with lichen sclerosis, involving the adhesion skin, and usually it's appear unifocal and unicentric, poorly demarked pink or gray-white rose black, and uh, it's fundamental punch of incision biopsy, which we suspect uh, in tripitalial lesion. And all multiple lesion should be biopsied. And we can say two words about page disease, because uh, page disease is considered the great mimic of the vulvar pathology, and its lesion can be mistaken for chronic dermatitis or dermatosis, such delaying the histological diagnosis of the disease. And usually the visible, visible border of uh, vulvar page disease are mostly irregular, slightly elevated and sharply demarcated, but the disease often extend uh, the macroscopic margin. And uh, finally, the melanoma in situ is often an uncommon permanent vulvar lesion, clinical, indistinguishable from the more common benign pigmental lesions, such as melanosis. Asymmetral, asymmetry, indistinct border, variegated color, large diameter A, B, C, D are similar in both benign and in situ lesion. And so the threshold to biopsy, a, general, a genital pigmented lesion should be lower than the other aspect of the body. Fantastic. And Emiru, I was wondering if. Um, Beyond the histopathology, is immunohistochemistry uh, routinely recommended now? Well, we know that uh, immunohistochemistry can help us in distinguish difficult cases. And uh, histological assessment of vulvar intipitelial lesion requires pathologists dealing with high volume vulvar biopsies. And inter-observer agreement was demonstrated to be low for high-grade squamous intrapitellial lesion and even worse for differentiated DIN diagnosis, where associated dermatosis, dermatosis complicate the histological pattern. And immunohistochemistry can be helpful in distinguishing difficult cases. In particular, P16 can be of help in distinguishing low-grade from high-grade squamous intrapitellial lesion or atrophy from high-grade lesion. When high-grade lesions show block, block positivity of P16. And differentiated BIN, a panel of P53, PIC16, a key uh, 6070, is helpful in distinguish from high-grade squamous intrapitellial lesion. Easier from porphyry disease when stain can help us in distinguish uh, primary with CK7 positive from secondary page disease of urethelial origin, uroplakin positive or anorectal uh, origin with C, uh, CK7 positivity. And melanoma in situ, uh, the 
three marker that S100, Milan A, and HMB45 that can help the pathologist, the clinician, and the patient to have a differential diagnosis. Great. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, management and, and, you know, and surveillance of these patients. So after these BIN lesions are excised, um, what do we recommend for those patients? And, and what do you as an expert recommend as the follow-up uh, of, of these patients? Yes, because the, of the risk of progression uh, to invasive carcinoma from differentiated VIN with short interval, there is no role of medical treatment or ablation of differentiated VIN. And therapy is excision with negative surgical margins to treat the lesion, but in particular to exclude invasive disease, followed by continuous follow-up. And despite treatment, VIN recurrence ranges from 6 to 50%. It is influenced by margin status. Duration of follow-up is fundamental for our young fellow to read correctly the, the paper published because when the follow-up is very short, all the series are very good, but we need long-term follow-up and patient-related factor and VIN type type with differentiated VIN having the highest risk. And after the treatment, follow-up should be modulated according to the, to the risk of recurrence, previous recurrence, patient age is very important, immunological condition, and other associated lower genital tract lesion. And patient should be seen on a regular basis and adherence to follow-up is essential for this patient, providing patient oral and <coughs> written information on their individualized medical situation to improve their awareness of symptoms, such as recurrence, local pruritus, and on the need for regular clinical vulvar examination. Great. And, and um, what about lichen sclerosis? Is, is this considered a risk factor for VIN recurrence? Oh yes, the literature is clear now and it is recommended the treatment of associated lichen sclerosis and lichen planus with topical high potency corticosteroid to reduce the risk of recurrence and progression. A woman with lichen sclerosis show a risk of about 3.5% in children raised of about 8 over 1,000 person years, increasing with advancing age. And a recent Dutch study analyzing the incidence rate of valvular squamous cell carcinoma in patients with VIN demonstrated that the type of VIN, the age, and the lichen sclerosis were independent risk factor for valvular squamous cell carcinoma. And so we have women with lichen sclerosis who are compliant to topical steroid use have a much lower rate of valvular cancer, a better control mm -hmm. symptom. And the current belief is that women should continue, continue regular use of topical steroid, even if asymptomatic, at least weekly, and have long life regular checkup, at least every six, 12 months, or when symptoms do not improve with adequate treatment or new lesions are identified. 
So this, this <laughs> question also, it's on management from Natalie Medley again. Um, she wants to know about that, the high-grade SIL or high-grade VIN. Um, and she wants to know when would a superficial vulvectomy be indicated? Would a trial of ablation or medical therapy with uh, imiquimod, um, should that be attempted first before an excisional procedure? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, very interesting question because in the past, extensive surgery with intent to eradicate disease with the standard of the therapy. But the current aims are now prevention of the progression, preservation of normal anatomy, symptom relief, and maintenance of quality of life with sexual function with individualized treatment. Searching, surgery resulting in significant distortion of the vulvar anatomy should be discouraged. The choice of ablative or medical therapy must be preceded by representative biopsy to exclude malignancy before treatment, as there is the risk of unexpected stromal invasion. Of course, imiquimod should be considered as a therapeutic option to preserve normal anatomy in high-grade squamous intrapitelial lesion. Imiquimod is an immunoresponse modifier direct to do light receptor 7 and stimulate the dendritic cell secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines and thereby elicit strong immune infiltration. And in this, it is demonstrated that HPV clear, clearance after a VACL treatment with imiquimod is also associated with a decreased number of uh, intrapitelial CD14 positive cells and increasing number of CD1A positive Langerhans cell to demonstrate the clearance, the eradication of the uh, infection. And just two weeks ago, it's not included in, in our paper, but two weeks ago was published a paper on uh, uh, Lancet from the, the University of Graz, uh, Austria, and uh, a multicenter randomized phase three non-inferiority trial for topical imiquimod versus surgery for vulvar squamous intrapitelial neoplasia demonstrated that there was no significant difference in HPV clearance, adverse effect, and treatment satisfaction between the two study group. And imiquimod can be considered as a first-line treatment. It's a very important paper. Great. And actually, that, that may be a, a, another targeted park podcast that I'll be looking to do on that on that paper as well. So thank you for pointing <laughs> that out. Um, but, you know, when you do a non-excisional treatment, you know, what, what are some of the things that we should be worried about when when just yeah. doing medical therapy? we need to adopt precaution. Uh, multiple representative biopsies are recommended to exclude invasion before medical treatment, before laser vaporization, before photodynamic therapy. And there, we need a good quality of specimen. Not easy to manage a small biopsy like valvar biopsy, but it's important for the pathologist. And research efforts are needed to identify clues on how to decrease the risk that pulvoscopy biopsy, directed biopsy of high-grade seal fails to detect to detect areas of invasive carcinoma. And this involves identifying patient and disease characteristic associated with stromal invasion in, on which physician could base their decision for biopsy and subsequent medical treatment. 
and invasive carcinoma unrecognized at biopsy is detected in about 10% of surgical specimens. It was demonstrated to be independently significant associated for patients with the highest tarsil of age, for patients with a lesion size greater than two centimeters and for patients with clitoral involvement. So we must pay attention to this higher risk group before medical treatment. Yeah, and, and um, uh, kind of following along with that, uh, Florian Joshin from France, one of our other fellows, um, she asked if, if you make a decision to treat with uh, amicumab, what is the recommended duration of treatment? And also when you discuss side effects with a patient, what should we tell them? Yes, how often and how long you use it and equal more topical will depend on the condition you are treating because usually uh, high-grade squamous intrapitellar laser is a more rapid response than vulvar patient disease. Amicum is usually applied three times per week for 16 weeks and clinical follow-up must be performed already at six, eight weeks to check the, the result of the first stage of the therapy. We need to use, uh, to recommend the use uh, of imicumod at the bedtime and leave the medication for eight hours, about three hours, eight hours. And the morning wash the skin with water and mild soap. Do not cover the treated skin. And uh, along, uh, we have to make the patient aware, aware that along with the needed effect of imicumod, there are some unwanted effect and not all of these side effects may occur, but we need uh, to pay attention and they include uh, application side reaction, burning sensation, discomation, edema, exfoliation of the skin, skin erosion, sometimes erythema of the skin. Other side effects may include back pain, ADH and sometimes fever, but uh, we make the patient aware that if there's some uh, local uh, side effect are present, it's probably uh, a sort of reaction of the skin and the, the therapy is going to go well, so. Yeah, so these next two questions are kind of following along with that. Uh, these come from Demetrius Natsiudis from uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And his first question is, in cases when you have positive margins after excision of VIN, do you recommend re-excising or is imiquimod uh, a, a good option for these patients? Yeah. Uh, positive margin in, uh, we have uh, almost in 50% of the cases positive, positive margin. So no recommended uh, immediate re-excision. If clinical inspection does not show a residual lesion, patient must be followed. And even if a residual lesion is seen, Topical 5% imiquimod cream has also been shown to be a safe conservative treatment option for in situ valvar page disease with minimal adverse effect. Complete response rate has been reported with a range to from 20 to 90% of the cases. And it gives a change for anatomical and functional conservation of the valvar structure. Treatment schedule varies among the different studies, ranging from one to five times a week, from a minimum of three, four weeks to an entire year of time. A total treatment duration of 16 weeks schedule seems to be the more commonly used. 
Perfect. Um, his next question is also related to this. Uh, what about any role for Mohs surgery in the management of patients with BIN or, or Paget's disease? Yeah. Uh, Mohs mechographic surgery is a tissue sparing surgical technique where 100% of the deep and the peripheral margin are assessed using frozen fresh uh, section. And the result of a recent meta-analysis indicate that the most uh, surgery is superior option to standard excision in terms of reducing the size of the surgical defect, lowering the recurrence rate as well, offering completeness excision in the single stage, both for primary and recurrent basal cell carcinoma. However, the study does not take into account the cost, the time, and the resources that require this type of surgery. And so if frozen section may be useful to achieve margin-free uh, excision as a disease often extend past what is visible to the eye. However, there is no clear demonstration that there is, should be a minimal distance to resection margin and the level of evidence to reduce recurrence is low and to support this statement and to use uh, most surgery in paged and uh, squamous intrapitellial lesion surgery. Great. Uh, next we go to Spain. Uh, Felix Borea from the University of Navarra. Um, he's, he wants to know about Padgett's disease and management of that. And he says, you know, achieving a two centimeter free surgical margin involve our Padgett's disease oftentimes can be challenging. So his question is, is reoperation recommended in cases of affected margins after excisional procedure for Padgett's disease of the vulva? Yeah. Um... Yeah, so we come back to the, the other question because re-excision of intrapitellial disease to achieve larger margin with mutilation, mutilation could be, not be of benefit. Uh, two centimeter free surgical margin is a uh, very wide margin, but we have free margin in case of invasive disease, not in case of uh, in situ lesion. Uh, invasive disease or underlying carcinoma, more radical approach both extension and depth of excision should be considered with lymphadenectomy uh, as uh, there is not enough, enough data for sentinel node in invasive paget disease. We need more studies. And recent studies favor an approach using imiquimod as adjuvant treatment after surgery to reduce the distortion of genital anatomy. And surgery must be taken into consideration the extension of the disease is usually wider than what is evident on the skin. Great. Uh, this, this, this next question is from Florian Joshim in, in France, and I, I think it's, a, it's an important question as well. Um, what monitoring do you recommend for immunocompromised patients? How often should we assess those patients for precancerous lesions? Well, it's a very important question because immunosuppressed population include HIV-infected women, solid organ transplant recipient, as well as women undergoing immunosuppressing treatment for rheumatological or autoimmune disease. And there is evidence that suggests that immunosuppression is a risk factor for development of HPV-related pre-invasive and invasive uh, lesion. HIV-infected uh, women have a higher incidence rate of VIN at a younger age and frequently have multifocal 
on the valve and multicentric, so valve, perianal uh, and anal lesion, vaginal and cervical lesion, HPV related lesion. We know that the, the progression, uh, the recurrence rate and the progression rate are far higher with shorter, shorter disease-free interval for HIV positive women than HIV, HIV negative with shorter time to recurrence. And also immunosuppressive drug for renal transplant recipient may increase the risk of HPV carcinogenesis. And there is a 40 fold increased risk for valvar and 120 fold increased risk for anal cancer among uh, recipient, uh, renal recipient uh, transplantation, tra transplant recipients and is reported in a recent Dutch study. So thus immunosuppression patients should undergo to a complete lower anogenital tract examination as a part of routine screening and appropriately managed by a multidisciplinary team. Interval of follow-up should be modulated, modulated according to the disease and the patient risk stratification. Great. Um... Mario, I wanted to ask you, and this question also comes from Felix Borre. I'm going to add a little bit to it as well. Um, he says, uh, as many of the diseases of the vulva are associated with HPV infection, do you think that we should include any type of screening in high-risk patients? And also, as a added on to that, any data on the uh, vaccination? And does, does the vaccine impact any, any of this as, as well? And your thoughts on, on that? Uh, HPV field effect that doesn't stop to the vulvar region. For example, despite the rarity of anal cancer at the population level is about one, two cases per 100,000 person year, vulvar high-grade squamous intrapetillial lesion patients are at increased risk for anal squamous carcinoma and precursors. And the recent meta-analysis showed an incident ratio of anal cancer of 42 per 100,000 patient year in women with VIN. That is the third highest risk for anal cancer after HIV positive men who have sex with men older than 30 years old and transplanted women 10 or more years post-transplantation. So at least 4%, up to 25% of women diagnosed with VIN have an intipetelial neoplasia at the other lower genital tract site. And accurate inspection of the lower genital tract sites, including cervix, vagina, vulvar, perianal skin is mandatory during the follow-up. And we should remind that the risk of intrapetelial multicentric disease other than the vulva decrease with the increasing of age while the, in, with the, the increase of, of age increase the risk of invasive neoplasia. In other words, again, we underline the need of individualized treatment, individualized follow-up of affected patients. And just a word about the HPV vaccine, because mm -hmm. we know that uh, HPV vaccination is preventive. So we have uh, prevention. The, 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 in, the target age is uh, uh, less than uh, 15 years, but uh, preliminary study, uh, not uh, randomized, demonstrated that uh, vaccinate 
treated patient for CIN, for DIN, reduce the risk of occurrence. So it's important to broaden the range of vaccinated patients. More vaccinated patients, uh, less risk of recurrence and invasive disease. Well, Mario, thank you so much. I really, truly uh, appreciate time uh, spent with you. And this discussion has been really uh, very enlightening. And uh, I, want, I was wondering if you wanted to make any uh, closing statements or summaries with regards to, to this Im important document that will be published in our journal. Oh, uh, I thank you again, Pedro, and all your uh, team. Uh, the only recommendation I can make finally is pay attention to the external genitalia during routine gynecological visit, during the pap smear HPV test, because sometimes could be the only chance for the patient to diagnose a pre-invasive disease, because up to now we see two uh, advanced uh, carcinoma, valvular carcinoma. We need prevention. Thank you to you, to your journal, and to let me have this wonderful talk with you. Thank you. Professor Mario Preti from the University of Torino, it's been truly a pleasure. Thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for what you have done for women with uh, vulvar pre-invasive disease and vulvar cancer. And uh, we really appreciate you and, and your time. And thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you again. See you soon.